Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast, and we'd like to take a minute to discuss what the science part of that really means. We assert that there is a single material reality that all humankind shares. Since that reality is true, empirical, and shared, science has no natural boundary. It is the common pursuit of all humankind, shared as equally as we are created. If that seems different than the world we live in, that's because science or empiricism isn't the law of the land. It's a radical, utopian idea that doesn't tinker quietly in labs, but rather wages war against our oldest, basest, vilest insanities. Racism is one of those afflictions, a perversion of the world as it truly is. Thus, it has always plagued science. In biology and medicine, every two steps forward has later taken a step back because many conclusions were built on racist premises. And whenever that has been the case, those conclusions were wrong and blinded us to material truth. Time wasted and people slaughtered, measured in hundreds of years and millions of lives, that is the malignancy of racism, as viral and murderous as any other mutated pathogen. So, as a science comedy podcast, Petri Dish asserts, in terms as certain as the world is round, racism is the enemy of reality. Its structures pervert the endeavor for truth. Its systemic power disables our noblest scientific ambitions. Thus, if you believe that E equals MC squared, that we're coded by the same genetic language, that the days are getting hotter and the world is round. Defend those beliefs. They are besieged by the same forces that would knee a man to death. Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. All characters during the show, such as Donatella Iglesias, Jimmy Coconuts, and Tyler Jerry are copywritten and are satirical. Any similarity to any person's living or dead is completely coincidental. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man... I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! I know the human being and science can coexist peacefully. This was our finest. Hey everyone, this is Petri Dish. I'm Sean. I'm Nathan. And we have as our guest today for this part four on skin, Matilde Miranda. Hello everyone. So on this one, our final part of the skin series that we've been doing, we're going to start a little bit on aging and then segue into the sun and skin, how the skin interacts with sunlight and UV radiation and what you should be doing to protect yourself. We talk about the life of skin as an organ. Now we're going to talk about its death. (laughs) Cancer. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I buy that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One of the main ways that skin does get damaged seems to be UV radiation. And so I think we're going to dig into that really deeply in this episode. But we're going to start out with just a little blurb on how aging can affect your skin, both from internal factors, like, you know, just body going poop, and then external factors, one of the big ones being UV radiation. So let's get into it. So tell me about the aging of skin. I know what happens to the heart, to the lymphatic system, to the brain as you age. What about the skin? You say lymphatic system? Whatever. Ah, I don't give a shit. Okay. You're not going to derail us this early. Intrinsic aging. Matilde. You never heard of lymph nodes, man? You calm down. All right. (laughs) So what happens to your skin? What's the shitification process of your skin from internal factors? So in general, around the age of 20 or so people start producing a lot less collagen in their skin. And every year thereafter, they lose about 1% of their total collagen levels over time. So this is why more mature skin has less collagen 
because they just have been shitting out collagen year after year after year. Okay, and so as something that we kind of went into in some of the early episodes, but collagen amount, especially like well-structured collagen, has to do with plumpness of skin too, yeah. right? Yeah, like yeah. So collagen isn't going to be the only thing responsible for skin aging. In general, collagen does make a huge portion of what we think of plumping of the skin but other molecules such as elastin glucose oh fuck yeah glucosaminoglycans yeah less elastins <laughs> and glucosaminoglycans those are also reduced in number yeah okay so not only plumpness but elastin has to do with stretch too right so generally less stretchy skin it's going to be in more mature skin at the risk of reducing the subject as you, you get older you lose a lot of the compounds that are in your skin you get shittier <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that's, that's why older skin shittier. You see other kind of weird, yeah. you know, it's just as an explanation of the shittification process. You kind of have less attachment between your epidermis and your dermis layers, so Gross. like it's a little bit looser. Right. You know what I mean, everything, all of the layers of the skin will generally get much smaller yeah. until finally you succumb to death, and the conqueror worm takes you. Yeah, yeah. you're gonna, yeah. you know, free yourself from the mortal coil. Yeah. Yeah. You're literally like, <laughs> yeah. you're just shedding that yeah. skin yeah. off. Yeah, exactly. Shed your mortal coil. All right. So that is intrinsic stuff. Your own body betraying you. What about the external world? What can cause our skin to age externally? At any age, uh, a few different things can cause either premature or just regular aging of the skin. UV rays, primarily from the sun, will exacerbate any kind of skin damage, skin aging. Smoking has been linked to premature aging of the skin, and even pollution can cause a lot of skin to end up being less healthy and go towards more aging phenotype. Okay, so UV, I know that that can affect DNA and stuff like that. Yes. It can probably also damage other aspects of ECM or something, I would guess. Yeah, depending on how far it's able to penetrate, if you don't have any sunblock, it can reach a lot of different levels of not only the skin, but maybe even underlying tissue. And the ECM is the... Extracellular matrix, right? Sorry, that's the abbreviation for all of that shit. The collagen, the glucosaminoglycans, the hyaluronin, all of that stuff outside of the cells. And I think one of the kind of ironies is that UV can make your layers thinner so that there's maybe not as much protection or not as much stuff to plump out and everything, but also can increase the cornification of like the outermost layer. It can make your skin rougher also. Thinner and rougher. Yeah, which is just like fucking, what kind of combo is that? A really bad condom. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> you put it into my mind. My mouth says Actually, it, but your your lips said uh, it to me first. Thinner and rougher doesn't have to be bad. That could, that could be nice. Okay, yeah. in the context of skin though, that's generally not what people want. Agreed. Yeah, people Thank do you. not want condom skin. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that back. You know, I see here in the notes, Matilda, you had said something about treatments for aging. So what do you got? There's no <laughs> cure-all for aging. <laughs> it's just funny, right? It's like treatments for aging. I mean, that's it's not, obviously it's not ridiculous. For it's aging just, skin. <laughs> it's like a time machine. Quantum leap. You know? <laughs> no, but, but, but what are some treatments for aging? Right, right. So treatments for aging skin. Um, so in general, a lot of aging skin, a lot of mature skin will exhibit things such as dark spots, hyperpigmentation. Vitamin C has been shown to at least help reduce a lot of melanin pigmentation and help reduce a lot of these darker marks that can form as a result of, to some extent, UV damage. That's why you get these darker spots of pigment present. Not only that, but other aspects of mature skin include thinner skin, as we've alluded to. This means less fat, less adipose tissue in the subcutis in our third episode we talked about cellulite mm. where cellulite is going to be sort of an abnormal formation of fat you can actually then use lasers to help with rearranging or even you know uh, generating fat bits you can adopt these same laser therapy techniques to help maybe stimulate collagen stimulate more filler production for mature skin okay but in the notes you say something about creepy skin Crepey skin. Crepey skin. Well, that, hold on. That doesn't help me either. Like a, crepe. Like a crepe? It's uh, not. Yeah, no, like, no, It's like no. a French pancake. <laughs> oh. So so it's skins like French pancakes. Not as delicious. <laughs> okay. More fact, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are we talking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It's like somebody made a chicharrone out of a crepe. Yeah. <laughs> it's not chicharron flavor. <laughs> okay. So what the shit is crepey skin? Crepey skin just has to do with the fact that elasticity has been reduced and it doesn't bounce back to its original shape as before. So you can take, for example, the skin on top of your hand. If you pull it up a little bit, it will bounce back. Well, considering we are on the younger side, it will bounce back to its original form with older individuals it might take some time and actually oh. might still remain sort of you know like you got a little you got a little pinch okay and you said there's some people looking into using lasers and vitamin a treatments to try to help restore crepey skin to right sexy so skin. right it goes to the same process of you're inducing a very very weak wounding phenotype this wounding response that will allow for fibroblast in this dermis to go ahead and produce collagen and lay down this network to fill out and provide some sort of resistance, provide some sort of internal barrier against, in this case, the obstructive force of a laser. Well, I guess it'll be really interesting to see how well that works in older people, because I do think that one of the issues is as you age, a lot of things like the wound healing process are things that become less efficient. Right, right. It's a good question, I think, worth you know, the actual serious clinical investigations to see if it works out. Well, let's take it a couple steps back. We had started with um, with extrinsic aging. Extrinsic. <laughs> Extrinsic. Extrinsic. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. I can't say glucosamina. I yeah. just, I've gone on this weird exogenous bent. Oh. I've repeatedly been saying exogenous recently. I don't want to stop doing it. Yeah. I need a different X. Yeah. I'm glad we're using extrinsic. Yeah. But now I can't say it. Anyway, so the first major variable that we listed in extrinsic aging is uv light yeah right well let's talk about some of these uv radiations all right because apparently there's different types they have i suppose a different amount of impact on skin let's talk about it how is the uv important for skin care yeah okay so i think on some of the science physics kind of side uv radiation is usually broken up into three categories by letter it's the a b and c categories And then UVC is the smallest wavelength, which usually means highest energy. And as far as like when it's coming from the sun, a lot of UVC is actually blocked out by the ozone layer in the atmosphere. So, you know, when we're talking about sunlight on the Earth's surface, UVC usually is mostly filtered out already. So then we're mostly getting UVB and UVA. That said, people might run into the term UVC sometimes because some things like air purifiers with a uv thing in it or something might have a uvc lamp that's supposed to be blowing up viruses or some kind of shit whatever anyway the point is uvc not really sunlight on the earth's surface uvb is kind of the next weaker uv light energy wise and a lot of it is blocked out by our ozone and atmosphere but a good amount still makes it to earth and that's the one that actually works with vitamin d in our skin right mm-hmm. which is important for something what's vitamin d in our skin actually supposed to be doing oh so vitamin d is going to be i guess synergizing with calcium yeah. so that's not necessarily working with the skin per se calcium can then go on to be you know cofactors for certain enzyme for just regular skin homeostasis But calcium, you need it for your bones. That's way underneath your skin too, right? You need bones for your your flesh bag. So a good easy way of remembering which is UVA versus UVB. UVA, think of aging and UVB burning. Yeah. That's better than mine. Yeah. Wow. What were you going to say? Mine was UV ass, UV blast, and UV Chernobyl. And I don't know why. It's not useful, but that's just how it was in my head. So I'm glad Fascinating. that. So I'm glad we've like established a better, you know, mnemonic system. That's actually though what you said is better than what I thought you were going to say. What you Which think I, was I thought say. you were going to say UV asshole, UV butthole. And it was just going to be totally useless. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I. But thank you, Matilde, for the very yeah. useful. Yeah, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. Aging, aging, because... and blasting. <laughs> yeah, but but burning from sunburn. Oh, whoops. Like yes. Okay. UVB helps you make vitamin D, and that's cool, baby. But, 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 it also can cause the burns. Yes, it contributes a lot to sunburns and damage to the epidermis layer. UVA is the next category up. This one actually does not get blocked by our atmosphere very much at all. So while I think UVB 
as far as a share of the spectrum from the sun is actually a little bit larger. UVA makes it through the atmosphere very easily, and it actually penetrates very deeply into the skin to the point where it can actually get through the outer layers, get through the epidermis, all the way into like the fucking dermis shit. And I feel like that's pretty dangerous. UVA so, can do some nasty stuff in so there. So it's fucking and denaturing your collagen? It can do that, yes. It can also even mess with the DNA in the nuclei of these cells. It can cause things such as thymidine dimers, where DNA essentially will tangle itself and break, and that will cause a process of cell death. Yeah, or the accumulation of mutations through the process of fixing the DNA, which could potentially, in some cells, lead them to be precancerous or cancerous. Right, right. and that's why um, when we were talking about basal cells in our epidermal layer in our first episode, that is going to be one of the most common types of skin cancer because these stem cells are consistently exposed to UV radiation. So we've talked about skin cancer before on this pod, but let's rehash some of the things that maybe we didn't discuss in depth. We did talk about, we had a skin cancer miniseries, or, or sorry, a cancer miniseries where we discussed skin cancer, um, but it is an extremely common form of cancer, right? It's the, as a broad category, it's the most common. It kills 95% of New Zealanders. <laughs> well, not, not 95%, but I will say they Australia probably, and New Zealand. Yeah, they probably have a high rate. They get hit really hard. They certainly because, have a high rate of instance. If not literally death. <laughs> yes, although although some kinds of skin cancer can be extremely aggressive. So like I think one idea that exists out there is skin cancer. You see like a weird little shape on your skin. Doctor goes in, slices it off, and right. boom, cured of skin cancer. Several kinds of skin cancer are significantly more dangerous than that. They can metastasize very quickly. Right. But there are three main kinds of skin cancer, and it's based off of what kinds of cells develop into the cancerous cells. Where so, they come from. Right, the, mm -hmm. the sort of... Uh, ontogeny of the cells. So one of them's melanoma. Autogeny. Yeah, ontogeny. That's a, a mouthful. <laughs> the, uh, the origin <laughs> of the cells. <laughs> it's a sexy. Oh, no. So, so ontological mouth. Melanoma from Milan, the melanocytes. That's how you said from Melania. Yeah, from Melania Trump. <laughs> Basal cell carcinoma from those cells in the stratum uh, basale. Right? And squamous. Yeah, squamous cell carcinoma. It's argued where those come from. But okay. Hair follicle stem cells, so we talked about this in episode one, can be a cell of origin for squamous cell carcinoma. Oh, squamous. Okay. Melanomas are the most aggressive and deadly of the three. And then the other two, those carcinoma guys, they're still dangerous, but they're more likely to cause disfiguration. I'd rather be dead than ugly. <laughs> Just kidding. Melanomas, well. about, melanomas are like 3% of skin cancer. Mm, okay. Uh, but they account for 75% of skin cancer deaths. Why is it so bad? Because they're very aggressive. They're very right. aggressive, and a lot of people don't, they don't pay attention to when there's some weird-looking mole. I think there's a lot more diagnostic tests nowadays that can catch maybe some weird-looking mark on your body very early, but even then, you can get it very confused for a birthmark, or it is slow-growing at the beginning, but then can all of a sudden just blast into the rest of your body and metastasize to other places. Sure, much like coronavirus's curve. Yes. Probably yeah. in America. Yeah. So, so one thing I, I want to point out here is that having more pigmentation in your skin is something that like the whole purpose of that extra pigmentation is to help absorb UV radiation to keep it from destroying DNA. But it's like corrupt cops on the beat. You know, well, because it's like the sun is the gangsters and money and like the cops, they're the melanomas. But like sometimes you're too close. Sometimes you get too close to the system. You get dirty. You get dirty money. You don't even know what you stand for anymore. Departed. Holy shit. Well, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of that. But the, the what I'm trying to say is that <laughs> <laughs> the tanning process or just naturally having darker pigmentation, the whole point of that is supposed to reduce the incidence of UV radiation to the deeper layers of your skin. And I think that people will sort of confusingly think that you're more likely to get things like melanoma or other kinds of skin cancer on your exposed surfaces a lot. But a lot of times melanomas will crop up in places that rarely see sun. Yeah, 80% of Australian bogan boils are on the butt. <laughs> well, I mean, also like... People's backs, right. for example, are covered with shirts a lot of the times, but they'll go to the beach every once in a while. 
and then get, you know, like a healthy big dose of UV radiation there, not really any melanocytes to soak up a lot of that radiation, then they might get skin cancer. Matilda, so, am I ever allowed to go to Outback Steakhouse or the beach? Like, it sounds very dangerous. I mean, I'd say no just leaving the house, so... Can't leave the house. Yeah, stay locked up, dude. I think Quarantine! This episode is very racist against Australian <laughs> New Zealand's lifestyle. Yeah. Well, in any case, almost all skin cancer can be explained by UV exposure. So it's kind of not like, leaving the house. Well, so, you know, cervical cancer is almost entirely explained by HPV exposure, right? And skin cancer is another one that's almost entirely explained by a single source, which is UV exposure. Damn. And, yeah, not getting hit by UV rays or reducing the amount of UV rays that are actually getting into your skin is probably one of the best ways to deal with it. Well, I think that's the perfect time to take a break, because when we get back, we're going to go into that way to protect your skin. Let's talk sunscreen. The following is an actual advertisement. Today's episode of Petri Dish is presented to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. It provides podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so that you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as a member and you can too. It's really easy. You just need to apply to become a member and you're immediately connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's at podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O, Hey, welcome back, everybody. So let's dive in and talk a little bit about what people can actively do to try to protect themselves from the sun using sunscreen. I feel like I've kind of heard of two big categories of sunscreen out there. There's like a chemical kind and then some kind of physical or mineral kind. And I was wondering what the distinguishing factor is between those. So Matilde, what's the difference between chemical and physical sunscreens? So chemical and physical sunscreens, depending on the type, will actually either break down or absorb UV radiation. And it's essentially a different way that it is going to protect yourself from just UV radiation from the sun. Okay, so I feel like when people are talking about sunblock or physical sunscreen, they're talking about these kind of metal-y kind of sunblocks like zinc oxide or titanium dioxide or something that's got some kind of metal in it. And I think part of the idea is it's supposed to like literally reflect UV rays and absorb some of the UV rays outside of your skin. Like it sits on top of your skin. Yeah, yeah. So that is a type of a physical sunscreen. And the reason why it's called also a mineral sunscreen is due to these compounds such as titanium and zinc oxide. And the way that physical sunscreens in general work is they will literally reflect the UVA and UVB rays away from your body. So I feel like a lot of things that reflect things usually are opaque and not transparent or see-through. In sort of classic maybe 80s movies or something like that, you'll see lifeguards with like a big band of white across their face. Yeah, very uh, Baywatch. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I feel like that's an example of the physical sunscreen. It's like kind of like really intense white color. Yeah, but for day-to-day use, not a lot of people do want to use something that makes them kind of look ghosty. Sure. Yeah, I get that. And for them, it's chemical sunscreen. Right. So I think for those, they're smaller molecules and they actually like get into your skin, right? Right. They will. uh, So the UVAs will go ahead and actually penetrate the skin. But chemical sunscreens will have basically molecules like oxybenzone or avobenzone that will reduce the radiation that then can hit any kind of sensitive parts of your tissue so basically they'll take the hit instead of your collagen or instead of your dna right the right. little uv photon jabroni going into your body instead will hit their structure yeah it'll almost like get diluted rather than targeting for example a melanocyte or some basal cell that can turn cancerous okay well when i'm looking at sunscreen i always see spf what are the rules about spf what are we measuring there really SPF is known as the sun protection factor, and in general, it's something that you can use to guesstimate how much you can stay in the sun, uh, how much you could get exposed to UV rays before getting a sunburn, compared to how long you could stay in the sun without any sunscreen at all. So while you can normally get about 20 minutes of full exposure, give or take, before you get a sunburn. When you use SPF 30, for example, you can get something like 10 hours of sun protection, low grade sun protection, but still very little to no chance of sunburn altogether. Yeah, and I think it's important. The idea here is it's 20 minutes 
times the 30 in SPF 30 would hypothetically be 600 minutes, which is 10 hours. That's all very hypothetical on the sunscreen staying on your skin in like the full amount and maintaining its effectiveness throughout the entire time period. But that's never the real world situation. You know what I mean? So, so you definitely don't get 10 full hours of awesome protection. You need to be reapplying every once in a while, right? Like every couple of hours or something. I'm also seeing that SPF 15, SPF 30, they don't actually block everything. No, no, right. not at all. So in general, when it comes to getting maybe the best protection from a sunblock sunscreen, you want to be reapplying every two hours or so. Because when you apply maybe early in the day, even that sun protection factor, all these counter UV compounds will get maybe diluted or even degraded by your sebum, by your sweat, maybe some water that you can get on your skin if you're going swimming especially. And it's not always 100% blockage altogether, even with very good application. So with SPF 15, you block roughly 93% of UVB rays, but even when you get up to SPF 30, that still can go to a 97%. So there's never a 100% blocking of UV rays as you go up in SPF. So SPF 100 is pointless. You'll be fine using an SPF 30, reapplying every two hours or so if you're in direct sunlight, or twice or halfway through the day if you are getting any kind of indirect sunlight. Yeah, I think really high SPFs give people a sense of security or something like that, or give them a feeling like once they put it on, they're good for like the next month. Or You're lemmings! Shit, you know? But it's not true, right? So SPF 15 and 30 are definitely, they're typically cheaper than something like a hyper-specialized SPF 100 or something like that. And because there's more of them, there's kind of more diversity in which molecules they use. And maybe some of them smell nicer to you or work better with your skin. So, I mean, honestly, SPF 15 or 30, it's probably good enough so long as you reapply it often enough. Yeah, SPF 30 is probably going to be your better bet. So I think another thing is that you want to make sure that the sunscreen is broad spectrum. In that some sunscreens are... Only for UVB. Mainly function to weed out UVB radiation. Mm -hmm. And yeah. those are the ones that cause burns, right? But not the only ones that can cause damage internally, right? UVA aging. So that can cause the problems with your DNA and everything. And so you need sunscreen that covers both UVA and UVB. But it's a little hard to find that because particularly in the U.S., SPF is only calculated using UVB for any kind of protective quality measurements. Yeah, so right now, there's not a lot of evaluation in the U.S. on whether or not things actually are full spectrum or how much protection you get. Because all of the ratings to be able to label your stuff SPF whatever is all based off of UVB protection. So unfortunately, places like Europe and I feel like Asia are better about having broad spectrum sunblocks. Not only broad spectrum, but even just the quality of the formulation as we previously mentioned, not everybody is going to want to have maybe a more mineral sunscreen because it's more on the white or sort of opaque looking side of just topical products. So a lot of countries outside of the U.S., primarily France, Japan, Korea, have been able to develop sunscreen products that are known as cosmetically elegant, where it doesn't feel like you're putting oil on your face. It doesn't feel like you're going to be jumping in cement. It's something that actually feels more like a serum and helps with moisturizing in addition to UV resistance. Yeah, and also, Nathan, get a parasol. Okay? Very beautiful. Okay. Elegant. And that way you can stop the sun. It doesn't just have to be sunscreen. Use everything in your arsenal. Sun hats, sunglasses to protect your eyeballs. Maybe a balaclava. Yeah. Nathan, think about this. Okay, I'll think about I'm it. I'm worried about you. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll mull it over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and you know, one thing that I've been noticing in like a lot of my weather apps now is that they'll say things about the UV index, and that sounds important. Like sometimes the number's really high, and I'm like, oh God, that must mean that there's... Go outside, you're gonna die. I'm getting a lot of ass blasting out there. And so I kind of wanted to know, like, what is the UV index and, like, what do any of the numbers mean? Historically, the UV index is something that was actually set up in, like, the 90s, right? To give an idea of, like, how intense the UV rays are on a particular time or day. 
And in 2004, they got unhappy with what the scale was. And so they added it to be not just 1 to 10, but they wanted to add an 11. They went so the, up to 11. Yes. Right. They turned it up to 11. Right. Extreme, very sensuous. And this is about how much UV radiation you're getting on the ground level. And therefore, you know, it's kind of playing into risk to your health, skin cancer risk, stuff like that. Right. And so clouds can block 20 to 30% of UV rays, but that means a shitload of UV rays. The majority of UV rays can get through clouds and do not give a single shit about clouds. Right. So, so even on a cloudy day, you should be wearing sunscreen. Yeah. And there are different kinds of clouds that makes this like slightly complicated. Some clouds are thought to be more effective than others. But I think broadly speaking, it's like... Hey, dude, clouds are not. You should probably be wearing sunscreen because UV is getting through. And in the long term, photo aging is one of the first culprits when it comes to skin aging, as we previously discussed. So wearing sunscreen consistently is going to help more for preserving skin function in the long run than trying to do any kind of repair once you get to a point that needs it. Yeah, prevention. Prevention, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, there's a lot of variables that come into play about how much UV is coming through. The ozone layer shifts and changes around every single day. So how much UVB gets through varies daily. Latitude, elevation, time of day all alter UV exposure, right? So closer to the equator means more UVs. Higher altitude means more UVs. So, you know, there's all these variables that are involved there. All right. So, guys, let's take a break. Yeah, good. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You want to say that again, but not so crazy? <laughs> you say it. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we can talk about some of the little factoids that people might have heard out there about sunscreen and sunblock. And then also some of the things out there that might suggest that chemicals in sunscreen could be getting through your skin and into your bloodstream, whether any of that's real and whether any of that's dangerous. So we'll talk about that when we come back. The following is an actual advertisement. Entomology. The study of the little six-legged critters that most people don't pay attention to. My name is Erfan Vafai with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension. And starting June 16th, we're going to learn a bit about a different entomologist every two weeks and discuss some of their most recent research. This is Talking Bugs. People knew, in terms of ecology, we knew a lot about predators, we knew a lot about parasitoids, but you knew very little about what pathogens were doing in the natural environment. It looks like it's just a cloud of bees. They have this emerging property of in combined intelligence that tells them exactly how they should operate. Uh, if you've read Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park, you know you want to be able to turn it off. You know, you want a safety lever in case something something goes wrong, and that was me. I was working on a safety lever. You can actually get them to survive in liquid helium which is you know, <laughs> minus 260 degrees, which is, you know, uh, 180 degrees colder than has ever been recorded anywhere on the planet. You can do this, you just have to persevere. And so if it wasn't for Tim Dennehy, I'm, I'm quite sure I would not be sitting here today. Subscribe to this podcast or follow the YouTube channel Six Legged Aggie to hear the most recent episodes as they are released. Welcome back, everybody. So let's go into some myth-busting on sun and skin topics. Okay, so talk to scientists. I've heard that having a tan is healthy. Yeah, that healthy glow that our president has, for example, that Donald Trump glow. Hey, he's still alive. Technically. No one saw that. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Matilde, what's up with suntans? Are they good? Or are they bad? What's the deal? They are something in between. So while sun exposure and, you know, darkening of your skin means you're getting sunlight, you're making vitamin D, it also means that because you have more of a glow or darkening is because it's your body's defensive mechanism by getting UV radiation. So it is annoying. And to some extent, tanning doesn't also necessarily mean you're avoiding burning. 
Sure, so you could over-tan pretty easily. You need some sun exposure, but don't go crazy with it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, sun tanning isn't inherently bad. You should be taking breaks every 15 minutes or so if you do want to get more of a sun-kissed look. Which is just a good day at the beach, right? You suntan for 15 minutes, you go into the shade, you make that margarita. Make sure no lime, though, right? No lemon juice. No, you don't want any kind of burns, chemical burns, because yeah. it's sunlight. Okay, so don't make margaritas. <laughs> make a gin and tonic with cucumber. That sounds pleasant. Yeah, have that and some water, then go back for another 15 minutes. This is all about having a good beach day. Wait, what are you guys saying? I'm saying we should go to the beach more. Just you and me, <laughs> no Stacy. Okay, okay, okay. It, it should be every once in a while. You don't want to overdo even also taking breaks and then going back into sunlight. Yeah, I, I mean, to, to be clear... UV damage is cumulative. Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. So, okay. So okay. you will accumulate damage. Okay. You should just try not to be out in the sun for too crazy long, right? And so I will say that there's other kind of confusing stuff out there. So there's this idea of heat from UV rays as mm-hmm. an indication of you getting a tan or a burn or damage or something, right? Like the it's idea not of, related. Right. Because here's the thing. Heat is from the other part of the light spectrum. Usually from the infrared part of it. Right, which sunlight does have. So you will feel a warming sensation from sunlight, but that's not necessarily translated to how much UV dose you're getting. Right, I mean, the other stuff in the infrared spectrum is at uh, higher or lower frequency waves. So longer wavelength is infrared. Right. And UV is shorter wavelength. Right, and your body doesn't really have a way to actually sense UV, right? I mean... I mean heat because waves are going to be energy levels. So if you have... Shorter waves, you're going to have more energy particles. I see. So you can feel all this stuff. But you can't distinguish. You can't distinguish it. UV rays definitely carry more energy than infrared. But here's the reason why UV radiation actually does not feel like warmth. So if you have a UV lamp, it does not feel the same as an infrared lamp right. in terms of okay, warmth. Okay, I see, I see. And here's the reason why is because infrared is actually the right wavelength to excite water molecules and vibrate them. Uh, and so that actually does directly cause heat transfer because heat is also about kinetic energy. And while the photons and UV radiation have a lot of energy, they're the kind of energy that will break bonds in molecules, can create reactive oxygen species. It can do a lot of chemical shit. But it doesn't feel the same as the warmth from infrared, which is just vibrating your water a little bit more. That's so sexy. You, you guys can't see this, of course, but Sean did a little shake when he did that. <laughs> yeah, there's a he little He was dance. exciting my water molecules. There's a little dance. So that okay. means you can be cold and still be getting blasted with UV radiation, it's, and you won't feel warmer. You'll just be getting burned. It's like how you're an intergalactic creature that shoots off high-energy neutrinos all the time. And it's ripping through my cells. I have cancer already, but I can't necessarily feel the warmth of your presence. Are you Dr. Manhattan? Is that what this is? I just Dr. Manhattan, bro. (laughs) Okay. So, Matilda, I guess I have this question. It feels like there's this big struggle between wanting the whole vitamin D situation and then also wanting to protect myself from UV rays. So if I use sunscreen to be able to reduce my UV exposure, does that affect my ability to make vitamin D and use it? So the surprising answer to this is actually... Maybe. So sunscreen, by and large, will be blocking a lot of UVBs pretty well. And UVBs are actually going to be the type of UV radiation that helps vitamin D get absorbed into the skin and go on to do its job. And blocking UVB via sunscreen will reduce vitamin D levels up to 75-95%. So this is only the circulating vitamin D levels, not necessarily every single vitamin D molecule that is present in your body. So it's not the biggest loss, but it also doesn't mean don't get any kind of sun radiation at all. You need that vitamin D. Why can't I just take a pill that has vitamin D? You can. If you have a vitamin D deficiency, if you have to live in parts of the world that don't get a lot of sunlight, supplementing with vitamin D will help with a few different things. It can help mental health, actually, so you don't get kind of crazy in the head. Did you ever play World of Warcraft? No. Okay, uh, forget it then. Holy shit, what were you gonna say? 
Just do it. I had a lot of free association that I don't think we need to get there. <laughs> <laughs> so the entire time she was answering your question, you were just sitting there. Druids. Not the entire time. What happened is she said dark places. And it made me think of that like Raven whatever wood place nearby where the Alliance starts. And that made me think of Elliot Smith and Basement on a Hill. Or Memory Lane is the name of the song specifically. And I knew that that was all good stuff <laughs> that was relevant to skin. So I wanted to ask her if she played World of Warcraft, but, you know, Matilda, you haven't played World of Warcraft. So it's probably for the best that we don't have this segment. Nathan's brain is like that image of Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny, where he's against a whiteboard with red string all sure, around him. Sure, Crazy-eyed. Yeah. The Pepe Sylvia. Yes, I understand. I Excellent. did inspire that show. Yeah. Yes. I'm sure. One Night With You was sufficient for yeah, all yeah, yeah. of the seasons of It's Always Sunny. Yeah, those three gentlemen, <laughs> what I gave to them. Okay, so it sounds like, as a bummer, there is this thing where sunscreen does such a good job at blocking UVB so that you aren't getting to make as much vitamin D. But it is true, you can take vitamin D supplements, which as far as I understand, there's some inefficiencies about getting absorbed from a dietary perspective, but you can still get around it. Like, if you swallow enough vitamin D, some of it's going to end up in your bloodstream. Yeah. It's better to have more vitamin D than less vitamin D. For a lot of people, they don't even know that they're vitamin D deficient. Yeah, I think a lot of people are vitamin D deficient, and they just haven't gotten the blood tests and gone to your doctor. Go to your doctor sometimes. What does it mean to be vitamin D deficient? Like, what's the problem? There's a lot of fatigue involved when it comes to vitamin D deficiency. It also can be associated with mood, bone health. It's a slew of different conditions. Dude, Stacy, you, you are mad vitamin D deficient. Have you gotten a blood test, dude? I was vitamin D deficient in the past where I had to get a shot because the doctor was like, you're dangerously low on vitamin but D. But then Stacy went out and got but some vitamin D. Okay. <laughs> I think... <laughs> What, since, since marrying this guy? Yeah, she's like, he was up. marrying this stallion? She's like, hey, let me get, let me get some of that. All right, all right. That's, that's enough jokes about your penis. All right. <laughs> Stop joking about my poor penis. <laughs> okay. It's not oh so bad. God. Now look. The vitamin D dance. The D dance for Nathan. <laughs> Here's... <laughs> okay. Now look. We just said using sunscreen is really important. But some of it's poisonous. Well, not so, quite. <laughs> oh, oh, this this is where I I have a lot of questions because I have read some things saying that especially with the chemical sunscreens that they are able to absorb into your skin and actually end up reaching your bloodstream at higher levels than expected for some of those chemicals. But so what what are what are the nuances here? What are the chemicals that could be dangerous? One of the ones that I've heard about is. Paba or paraminobenzoic acid. Paba's Paraguay's ABBA. <laughs> <laughs> they, they need something. Ah, <laughs> Gualu. It's, it's a landlocked country. They, they need something. So my understanding is, is that Paba is actually no longer considered safe for use as a sunscreen chemical anymore. As of this year, the or, or maybe 2019, the FDA has said basically you can't use it anymore. But there are other commonly used sunscreen chemicals that are of undetermined safety, right? And so oxybenzone is actually a very common sunscreen chemical. And that one, there was a study where they were finding it in larger levels in your bloodstream. It seems to get through your skin and into your bloodstream relatively well. Mm. Um, Octal, oxyquetzacotl, another one. (laughs) Tenochtitlan. A lot of these science words were probably invented by the Nahuatl-speaking peoples, weren't they? I mean, they're, they're pretty. <laughs> you just give up part of the way through any science word is the problem here. But you know, Almost salacious. I think just one of the things is that some of these molecules, by virtue of the way that they're supposed to help absorb UV radiation, they also can bind to some receptors in a way that's maybe similar to like estradiols. And Interesting. Like so, kind of the reason they're useful as chemical sunscreen is also part of the problem maybe it just i think it lends them to a kind of structure that also can be what's called an endocrine disruptor or hook up to hormone receptors and so the question is really the dose is what's going to make the situation here. the dose makes the poison right yes so so are we getting enough into our bloodstream just from topical administration to actually cause some kind of problem well, what's the answer, Matilda? Are you poisoning us with your sunscreen? <laughs> Me? No, Personally. not at all. Personally, no. So the 
disclaimer for a lot of these studies that not a lot of people will go ahead and consider if maybe they're not trained or just don't read a little bit closer is they used about 10 times the normal amount topically. So just by sheer concentration, it is getting into the bloodstream because it's just able to penetrate into the epidermis at higher levels. And because the epidermis is a highly vascularized structure, yes, it's going to be in the bloodstream because you're putting a shit ton of it. Like, it makes sense. Sure. I mean, but at the same time... You're not going to be, like, in a hot tub of, of I sunscreen. think we all know there's plenty of Korean moms who are in hot tubs of oxybenzone. But not a hot tub of oxybenzone. I think they are. <laughs> but hold on, hold on, hold on. I saw Paris. Here, here's, here's, here's my rebuttal to that idea, is that people also chronically underuse sunscreen. Right. because so they we're think... supposed to be using more of it. We're supposed to be using more of it in the sense you're going to be reapplying, but you're going to stagger the use rather than having it all on at once. Yeah, but but having it constantly on at a steady state level is still going to introduce more to your bloodstream than people using it shittily and only applying it once per day or something, right? I mean, the like, there should be some kind of relationship. The more times you apply it, the more should get into your bloodstream. Dude, I am like... So horny right now. This is science debate. <laughs> Sean and I can't have science debates because it's just like it's just like a caveman hammering on a mule. Yeah. You know, it, like it kind of it kind of comes down to the type of molecule that you're using in your sunscreen. So there's two molecules: avobenzone and mixoral SX are chemical sunscreens, and they have still very good UV protection, UVA protection but not a lot of skin permeability. So they actually have a lower risk of getting into the bloodstream, but still giving you maximum resistance to UV rays. Right. I think that part of what this boils down to is you are going to want to find chemical sunscreens that do not get all the way through the skin and into your blood vessels really easily. So yeah, like, like Matilda was saying, avobenzone is a good example, and mexoral SX are two of them that are both broad spectrum, which is awesome. Is this mm-hmm. the sort of thing that you would see in the back of an ingredients list? Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it okay, would cool. be mandated, I believe, by, uh, is it the FDA in yes. this case? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the FDA actually yeah. plays in there. On top of that, the other thing I would say is that physical sunscreens, the ones like the zinc oxide, titanium dioxide, those ones are too big to penetrate into your skin at all. So they cannot get into your bloodstream. Right. But I'm seeing here, don't aerosol them. Well, don't breathe them because okay, they're, yeah. they're nano and microparticles. So they're not good for your lungs. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so there are some spray versions of sunblocks. Don't do it. If there's a spray physical sunblock, do not breathe that. Don't inhale <laughs> it. You know what I mean? Let it settle or something before you start Dude, That's breathing. how I got high from like fifth grade to now. <laughs> You're just nothing but zinc oxide. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, man, it uh, explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard, man. It's like skin is a complex organ that requires nuance. I mean, it can get even more complicated because now I guess maybe there's a new frontier in sunscreen skincare where rather than having just a chemical sunscreen or just a physical sunscreen, there are now mixes. Maybe something that is more on the chemical, maybe a 70% chemical, 30% physical sunscreen. It depends on the, the skincare company product. Yeah, and, you know, at least on my front, on the sort of materials, nanoparticle side, the research that I do, I know that there's a lot of groups that are nanotechnology groups that are designing sunblocks in that they're trying to make ones that are nanoparticles. They're too big to penetrate into the skin, so they'll sit on the surface, but they'll still be able to take in that UV radiation, absorb it, have that slowly break down the nanoparticles on the surface, but won't look quite as white or chalky or maybe won't have the same unpleasant smells or textures that the physical sunscreens are like sort of known to. That's part of why they're unpopular. And so there might be some kind of other nano formulations in the future that can actually kind of make them more pleasant to work with. I would say in terms of skincare product research, sunscreen is going to be, you know, on the forefront of incorporating a lot of really interesting engineering or even just scientific technology. Yeah. So when you're like big in Paris, will you hire Sean to like make this stuff? We actually talked about this when we used to work together. Yeah. What happened? Why, why are you bummed now? <laughs> now I'm doing all this stupid cancer shit. 
No, I can't. Cancer. Come I'm on, trying man. Trying to like, yeah, pancreatic cancer. Who cares? Although, hey, well, if Joe Biden does actually win, cancel moonshot. <laughs> You're oh, in it. Oh, there we go. Yeah. All right. Wow, I'm 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 Biden 2020 now. I guess you don't have to be Sean. You okay. could vote independent like you did in 2016. Pence 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding out for Nikki Haley. Oh, <laughs> uh, gross, man. Wow. Yeah, um, you said some shit. Okay, you, you really did. <laughs> okay. So, this episode, to recap, we covered a bunch of sun shit, aging, intrinsic factors of aging, and then extrinsic, all those UV rays. We talked about the different kinds of UV rays and different kinds of sunscreen and everything like that. And skin cancer and how bad that is. And it really just blows up Australia and New Zealanders. Yeah, I mean, everyone talks about how they want to live there to escape, blah, 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 blah. Gonna get skin cancer. Cancer's gonna get you. Yeah. That's the trade-off. It's sure you have like a very stable society or whatever. You gotta get cancer. <laughs> so, Matilde, any final closing out notes on sun and skin? Yeah, so again, if you're wanting to have good skin in the long run, one of the easiest things you could do is wear sunscreen. Use it daily. Try and find a sunscreen that agrees with your skin concerns, whether that's more of a chemical or a physical. There's a bunch of sunscreens out there. It will just take a little bit of legwork to figure out what works best for you. Yeah, and I think what you said way early in the episode about prevention being better than treatment, instead of waiting until you're 60 and getting blasted by lasers, put on some fucking sunscreen when you're like 20 and then keep your skin from getting damaged in the first place quite so much. Basically, you can put on sunscreen now and then not worry about having to go ahead and shoot up Botox yeah. Poison into your muscles. Delicious. Stacy, stop pointing at me. I'm not gonna have boy talks. I'm gonna die first. Yeah, no, no boy talks for you. <laughs> <laughs> boy talk sounds like a Britney Spears song. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Yeah, yeah. That was beautiful. I'm hip with the kids. All right, I love it. <laughs> I'm gonna die way before Botox. Let us say our thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you, Matilde, for stopping by. This was a four-episode series, our longest series on any topic yet, on all kinds of skin shit. And Matilde just showed that she has expertise in so many wide-ranging aspects of what is a really fucking complicated organ. And the ability to talk for eight hours. Yes. That's I not can even talk about skin for much, much longer. So well, She's been drinking the whole time. <laughs> Ass blast. You're not supposed to tell my oh, audience like, that. <laughs> she just like has a bucket for vomit. <laughs> it's like crazy, dude. She Thank brought you. her own pail. She's like, I've been pail. drinking a uh, Moscato, champagne. Yeah. What else we got? A Booty Beaujolais. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm. So thank you, Matilde Miranda, soon to be doctor. And then thank you to Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Thank you. And no, not you. Brian. <laughs> what? Brian Allen. Not you. You fucking calm down, Nathan. You don't... Why you go so mad? <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Brian Allen, for the artwork. You can sign up on patreon.com slash petri dish to send us money. Tweet at Sean. Yeah, at Dish Podcast. And ask Sean if you need to talk to Matilde. Yes, although you also have a Twitter handle. Yeah, let's hear that. I do, I do. And everything that I've posted on my very limited Twitter social media account has to do with skin. Skin PSAs, I like to call them. And you can find me at Miranda M. Spock. It's a different story of where that name came from. And in closing, (laughs) just to remind everybody, wash your hands and don't touch your face. Wear some sunscreen and your skin will be happy. See you guys next time. Don't touch your face! Ich bin ein Science and Skin.